When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce, and welcome to the Boyce of Reason podcast. Today's guest is Chloe Valdery, who is a public speaker and a DJ and a teacher of the theory of enchantment. In this conversation, we talk about her perspective as a black woman, uh, thinking through the protests that are going on right now and trying to find some common ground where people from a variety of political viewpoints can come together in a common project of America and what it means to be an American and what it means to try to take our high ideals and to institute them in a humane manner. This is a wonderful conversation filled with uh, personal experience and uh, I think applicable wisdom for all of us right now uh, to look on the brighter side of the things that we're trying to deal with. So without further ado, here's Chloe Valdery. Anyway, how are you? I'm good. Uh, We're just uh, figuring out how the world is going to end up. (laughs) I was hoping you would have to be alive, you know, seriously, Uh, like I'm actually kind of excited. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I don't know if I should be more pessimistic, but I'm kind of not, you know, so I don't know. (laughs) Well, okay. Okay. Like people, people get upset if I just start talking. So we'll just cut in (laughs) when we cut in, but I really want to know why you're excited. What is there to be excited about? I mean, I I feel like if you put aside for a second, like I truly believe that the rioters and the looters are a totally different camp okay. from the majority of protesters. Yeah. And so, and I think that the majority of protesters that I'm seeing across the country truly want to move in a direction that's good and beneficial for the country. That's ultimately holistic Hmm. Um, now that doesn't mean that like the proper leaders have necessarily developed yet or come out of, um, these protesters. But I think for the most part, the majority is moving toward the the majority is moving in a good direction. And, and the majority I think just could benefit Hmm. from leadership and, um, you know, the proper values and the proper principles uh, uh, directing people in the in, in the right way, and I think that there are certain leaders that I've seen in videos that exhibit those principles, um, and that have the capacity to really inspire change in a positive, healthy way. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm optimistic. <laughs> well, what do you think are some of those principles that we can focus on? Because there, there's a lot of material, and there's a lot of different sure. you know currents going on, and a lot of different um, ways of framing the discussion. And mm-hmm. uh, my background is at the Evergreen State College, where sure. they used a specific sort of framing that I saw was actually counterproductive. Definitely. When, yeah. When you look at how it led to its culmination. So what are some of the, the principles that you think? Um, I guess we'll let, let's start by describing what the problem is or what the uh, sure. what the topic is. And then what are the, the principles that we could be focusing on? So the problem is the 
writ large, un- unadulterated police brutality, okay. right? With with no sort of, um, or very little, I'd say, very little uh, from a from a from a national uh, per- perception, right? So the national perception is that there has been very little advancement in terms of gaining police accountability on a national scale. So yes, you have had in certain local precincts, obviously via the ballot box and via, you know, via democracy, you actually have had movement, you have had police reform implemented. Um, There's an incredible thread that I can send to you after this on Twitter that shows a lot of the legislation that has been passed in different states uh, from Tennessee to Connecticut um, that, that indicate real reform um, but it's sort of a piecemeal approach. There's no national overall, you know, president leading the consensus and trying to unite everyone together in this approach. There, unfortunately, and I, I blame the president for this uh, partially, um, there is unfortunately a climate of divisiveness and mm-hmm. um, for political expedient purposes and nastiness that quite frankly mirrors the same nihilistic mm. tendencies, in my opinion, and nastiness of the looters and the rioters. Um, so that's sort of how I see the problem. And then the solution has to entail leaders embodying the principles of quite simply caring for your fellow American, period. Right? How are we going to create a society that indicates that we care for each other, that we fundamentally our concern for each other, that we fundamentally care about the well-being of each other. And that question is implicit in the protest against police brutality. That question is implicit when we speak out against looters, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And people Mm -hmm. who are wrecking other people's businesses, especially for small business owners, Um, but not just for small business owners. You know, there's an argument that goes, oh, well, if you're destroying corporations, you know, who cares? They can just stock up you know, again, they'll be fine. But the fact of the matter is that we are all interconnected. Mm-hmm. And if you destroy a Walgreens on the corner, the young middle class African American woman who was working there because it was an essential business now no longer has a way to make income. And now her mother can no longer go there to get her to get her prescriptions, to get her medical prescriptions. So the solution is a holistic approach to. Tr- and an attempt to answer the question, how is it that we as Americans can create and build a society where it is self-evident that we care for the well-being of one another, mm-hmm. period. And how does the, uh, the aspect of race complicate that? And how do we enter into, how do, how we, how do we bring the racial um, perspective into that in yeah. a way that, uh, that, that that's balanced and still maintains the, what my value would be was indiv- individual sovereignty, which sure. in certain respects, some anti-racist rhetoric dissolves sure. personal responsibility, personal accountability, because it assigns uh, some sort of uh, – it puts like the race in front. All power of... and – yeah, it ironically ascribes um, – and this is <laughs> – so Coates did this, Ta-Nehisi Coates did this in, a, in an article, in an essay he wrote in Atlantic Magazine a few years ago, calling Trump the first white president and calling mm. white supremacy the, the, all, the, the all-encompassing thing that's, that's responsible for almost everything in the world, which is, of course, ludicrous by definition. But, 
But um, so it's a good question. I think my answer to that would be honestly to we would we would have to like call upon the wisdom of our ancestors. Right. And mm-hmm. this is this is why this I think this is partially why I'm optimistic, because I think a needle can be be threaded here between, you know, the conservative faction that says, I love this country. This country is not the the, you know, irredeemable um, monster that you have made it out to be like, yes, we have made incredibly horrendous mistakes. Yes, we have committed incredible sins, but we also have created and cultivated a society for human flourishing. And we've also made progress. So I think that the way you reconcile that faction with the faction that's saying, let's make America better, let's be, let's act in a more just way toward each other as citizens is by saying to the conservatives, yes, you're right. And the civil rights leaders, such as Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and Bayard Rustin and all these individuals who we look up to and who, you know, we have days named after in this country, these individuals were also the founding fathers and mothers of this country, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. they too are the legacy of America. And and they, they give us an incredible... They give us something to be proud about when it com- when it comes to being proud of America, right? And so that's how you that's how you thread the needle because obviously those individuals were dealing, needless to say, with the issue of race and with the issue of equality. Um, and so mm-hmm. you call upon the the I think you have to call upon the spiritual tenacity and root whatever movement you have in the spiritual tenacity of the for- the founding forefathers and foremothers of America, which include which also include John Adams and Benjamin Franklin, but it must be said, include mm-hmm. Dr. King and include Rosa Parks. And I think that's how you bridge the divide. There's a common convergence uh, uh, with regards to our, our, our saints, our, our leaders, yes. our, our, our founders. Exactly. Um, one quote that is, uh, is kind of brought up a lot with, with Martin Luther King Jr. that I've seen a lot, and I, I wanted to tease it apart because it seems to be being used to um, foment radicalism. Is It's a quote from his uh, letter from a Birmingham uh, jail. And mm-hmm. it says the, he, he has a problem with the, the white moderate. And, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, in what way can we be radical and at the same time have a, have a le- level head with regards to what it means to be a moderate, what it means to be conservative or, or to resist uh, the larger claims of, let's say, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, the, sure. the, the, the more stronger anti-racist claims about white privilege and, and, and trying sure. to right that in an equitable manner. So do you want to tease out that question a little bit more? Maybe, maybe if you, do you have the quote in front of you? Do you yeah, want to like, you know, let me, let me it look out? it up. I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. Mm-hmm. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizens counselor or the Ku, Ku Klux Klan, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to mm-hmm. justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action. 
mm-hmm. who, per- who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow mm-hmm. understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. And there's a lot in there. Sure. So notice that in that section that you just read, there was nothing about rioting. <laughs> there, was, there was nothing in that message that can, unless you're willfully misreading it, that translates that message into, and Dr. King is saying that you should now go out and riot in the streets. I think what Dr. King was saying in that message was, was, he was actually condemning those white citizens who were, who were not even for nonviolent protesting, right? They were, they were just sort okay. of going along and just being like any form of agitation, any form of direct, meaning like sp- even spiritual agitation, right? So I- any form of direct action is itself antithetical to like my philosophy of being, which is like not what a democracy is by definition, right? It's not in a democracy mm. one, this is the definition of the democracy, right? This is the meaning of democracy. One engages in, in protests and in, um, in direct action movements to try and bring about change. Um, that's a part and parcel of democracy. But I think that's totally separate from white people randomly deciding to collectively kneel, um, not because they want to show solidarity with those who are marching on behalf of George Floyd, right? I think there's a difference between when you have an entire sea of protesters kneeling together, right? Black and white, cop and citizen, that's a totally separate thing from a bunch of white people deciding to kneel on the ground simply because they are white. That is not and was never Dr. King's vision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, why I, is that and, so attractive? It's a very, it's it's disturbing to me well, just because of the, the uh, <laughs> the religious connotations of that. But why is that attractive? Sure. Do, you, do you understand that mindset or could you project some understanding onto that? I could try. <laughs> I could, I mean, I could do my best. I don't yeah. like, I come from a specific, I think spiritual tradition that, mm. that is, that makes such a thing foreign to me. Um, but I would say it actually, and ironically has much to do with James Baldwin's observations Um, in his essay, The Fire Next Time, about where he sort of like argues that there's a spiritual, there's somewhat of a spiritual dearth and spiritual malnourishment in certain, certain areas of white American life, right? So, so this is sort of a, a, a gaping hole, um, a lack of spirituality and a lack of a spiritual foundation within, again, not all, but certain sectors of white American life. And there is a need to fill that hole and to fill that, that, you know, that gap and to, and to fill that vacuum with something that gives people a sense of meaning and a sense of belonging. And this is the way in which some have decided to try to achieve that. And from your spiritual perspective or your traditional, uh, your spiritual tradition perspective, why is that improper or misguided? Or if, if that, if it is misguided, let's say. Well, it's because it's incomplete. not serious. It doesn't take seriously what we are 
what we claim to be fighting for, which is justice and equality. And if we're fighting for equality, you can't kneel to me because you're a white person, right? Hmm. If, we're, if we're fighting for equality and you kneel to me, you are not my equal. So you are, you are claiming on the one hand to stand for something, to stand for the concept of justice and the st to stand for the ideal of equality. And you don't have no idea what equality even means, right? Mm -hmm. you, that's, you have no actual conception of what that means. Um, so much so that you're willing to, you know, prostrate and, and, and again, I think it's, I think it's sincere for many people. I don't want to, I don't want to take away from the sincerity, but, um, to the extent that one is willing to just prostrate before another human being because they are a different skin color mm. is absurd. And, and no one can argue seriously that that was Dr. King's vision. Mm, mm. There's a there's a narrative that that's being um, uh, kind of asked people to take that I've seen that that as a white man, I'm supposed to imagine the suffering and the fear of a person mm -hmm. of color experiencing every day. And that imagining of that is somehow supposed to teach me something. Mm -hmm. I wonder, do, do you agree with that thought experiment? Do you think that it can lead to uh, real understanding or or can my imagination fill that that gap? It's an interesting question. The, the, the question I would ask would be, to what end? Hmm. To what end do I uh, imagine or, or summon that, that suffering? And, and so that, so that let's, let's, do this, let's do this thought as a thought exercise, right? A white person decides to do exactly what you just said, perhaps to bring about, let's say, I'm trying to steel man the argument. Let's say... To, to develop empathy, right, for another human being who is attacked, um, to develop a sense of, of solidarity with another human being because they were attacked. Um, and so if the argument is, I need to imagine, I need to, I need to, if the argument is basically, I need to put myself in this person's situation to or I need to imagine that as much as possible to, in order to be able to cultivate empathy for this person. I understand that to a certain, up to a certain point, right? Because if the, if the response to that is not, okay, so how can we now try to develop a more just society so that we're equal, but instead the response is, well, how can I now prostrate before you and, um, you know, sort of, sort of switch positions, right? Which is, which is metaphorically and symbolically what's being done when someone who is white kneels before another person of color um, merely because they're two different skin colors, right? If that's the, the end goal of imagining yourself in another person's situation, then you've totally missed the point of that exercise. <laughs> of, 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 of achieving... Uh... Of achieving, well, maybe not achieving in a final sense, but of re-engaging and reinvigorating the process of making a harmonious, yeah. thriving society. You sort of like, you, you stopped yourself in the beginning of the process, which is, which is mm. a long process, yeah. right? Yeah. You turned it yeah. into something performative. And, and, it's, and it's also like not intellectually sound. Like it's not, like people are not thinking through like, what is the moral philosophy I want to ground my activism and my protests in? What is my end goal? Ultimately, to really think about what justice means and the concept of justice and the concept of equality. And then how do I 
how do I comport myself in such a way as a protester or as an activist so that I embody the principles of justice and embody the principles of equality? I, I'm not doing that if I'm kneeling in front of you because you're a different skin color than me. Yeah, yeah. It, so it, no, no one is taking the time to, well, not no one. I'm, you know, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic. But Yeah, yeah. It, you you touched on something that I find um, missing in a lot of, uh, I guess, political discourse writ large is that there's a missing aspect of development. Like we're on a developmental yeah. arc and there's a there's a slow maturation of somebody becoming wise. You don't just all of a sudden become Wake right. Up, you, you, yeah, 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 like you're, you're all of a sudden there. Yeah. And and the, the inverse of that is kind of cancel culture of, of oh, you said that one wrong thing sure, that one sure. time. There's, there's this right. there's this frozenness of right. development or, or just like this this absence of, of understanding human beings as as very slow to, to understand uh, a complex system, let alone like society or something like that. And the ultimate irony of that is that cancel culture is antithetical to the principles of criminal justice reform. Uh, could you expand on that? I mean, the, the, the entire idea of criminal justice reform is based upon, like, if you want to go, if you want to reduce it to a theological principle, um, mm. you know, of the possibility of human beings, of the need of society to be able to forgive human beings for their wrongdoings, and the possibility of human beings to change and to rise above their circumstances, um, and to go mm. from being bad to being good. Mm -hmm. Whereas cancel culture is often, or not always, again, not always, but often manifests itself in such a way where the sentiment is, you are bad now, you will always be bad, there is nothing redeemable about you, and in order to get you out of our society, we must shame you and um, mm -hmm. cancel you. So the two, the, the two concepts are, by and large, totally contradictory concepts. The, even even the, um, the way of framing uh, certain discussions in, in, with regards to racial tension or racial justice, uh, on, the, on the low level of you know, social media, let's say, I see a lot of people uh, kind of trying to force other people to do or say the right thing. And, and it, it's really distilled into like the, the most uh, you know, lowest resolution when we co come to yesterday of people not uh, putting a black photo on Instagram or, or people sure. <laughs> uh, guilting other people sure, to, yes. to, to participate in this thing, this, this kind of, uh, if, if you can do these actions, then you will be saved. It's a very right. rudimentary yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of process that doesn't really understand how do you actually change somebody's perspective uh, with regards to racial understanding in, in America? Like, how do, you, how do you engage in that in a longer form, more uh, mature way? Well, unfortunately, this is one of the byproducts of, well, th actually, this is one of the, yeah, the byproducts of the American experiment, uh, uh, I think a product of the excess of our hyper-consumerist uh, society, so that, so that things... Um, like a brand, almost. Yeah, yeah, like, like, we unfortunately are confusing the pursuit of just, some of us are confusing the pursuit of justice with you know, very fickle and, and superficial acts of posting things on Instagram that make us look good. Like the pursuit of justice does not equal, hmm. let me do things that make me look good in the eyes of <laughs> like, 
it's it's honestly like insane when you think about how superficial some of this is. Um, but one of the reasons why I'm optimistic is because I think mm. people are actually sincerely searching mm. for mm. for a for a way to make things better. And so, as long as they are search, if they are searching, that means they are, that there is hope. And if there is hope, that means that I think you can you can take advantage of things and really try to mm. inspire people to 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 do this the right way and to go about this mm. the right way. And you see that when it comes to local leaders on a, on a local level, you know, and some of the videos that have been posted where leaders on a local level are telling people, you know, stop rooting, stop looting, stop rioting. This is our community. We have to build our community. We have to, you know, uh, build up the community, not tear down the community. Um, we be- which is to say that they believe in the future of the community. Right. And it, and I think that that is something that might seem trite, but I don't think that that should be taken for granted. There's a, it's really difficult to uh, pursue justice when, when you summon such a huge problem that, that I I see in kind of in the 1619 project, let's just say, Mm -hmm. where, where they try to reframe American history, the whole history and root it in the, in the, in slavery. Yeah. Um, And, and when you, when you make the narrative that big, like it almost, forces people into a panic or forces people into right. a mode of interacting with this that's no, no longer human size. It's, it, there's no humility in it because the problem is just so big. So how do you, how do you, how do you propose that we frame the, the story of America with regards to race? Like, do you, do you kind of have a narrative that you... That's uh, such a big question. <laughs> I know, it's a big question, but like people are proposing these big solutions that I, I yeah. don't think are, are necessarily solving things. I think it goes back to what I said earlier about understanding that our founding fathers and mothers are both Benjamin Franklin and John Adams and Dr. King and Rosa Parks. And so in that sense, you can't it's impossible to write off 1776 without writing off Martha, Martin Luther King and vice versa because, okay. you know, W.E.B. Du Bois had an amazing uh, line in his, um, he was a you know, famous uh, black anthropologist and really just a leader in the civil rights movement, an incredible writer whose, whose works I think should be read, but in his book, The Soul of Black Folk, he writes, I, I might get this wrong, but I'm going to try to <laughs> quote it verbatim. He says, I sit with Shakespeare and he winces not. Right? Which is ultimately many things. It's an affirmation of, in some ways, the principles of Western civilization. Right? He's saying, I, like, he's saying Shakespeare is my equal and I am Shakespeare's equal. Right? In terms of the the values and the principles and the ideas that both of these individuals represent. Right. And so there is no Dubois without Shakespeare. Um, and this goes to my, my ideas about, this is, which is a side note, like what do we do about the Western canon and all of the, you know, uh, uh, pro screaming over dead white men being in the Western canon and things of that nature, which is a side note. But like the point being that you can't, if you, if you totally, uh, write off everyone that has been involved in the American project, including the uh, the sincere, authentic uh, promoters and 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 um, I would say protectors of the concept of liberty and justice and equality. Yes, even in and even from 1776, then you destroy the foundation 
in whose name you seek justice, right? If, in fact, it is true that all men and women are created equal, which is what the founding document of this country states, then we can go about protesting on behalf of trying to make things just and, and bring about equality. Mm-hmm. So you can't have one without the other. For, you can't have, which is to say you can't have the triumphs without the tragedies. You can't have the incredible uh, path have- that we've come without the flaws. You can't destroy one without destroying the other. It's all interconnected. It's all interlinked. And so that is the story that I would tell. That is the narrative of America. Um, and we, as American citizens, have to have the spiritual maturity to be able to hold both of those things at the same time without losing our minds, right? Because, uh, okay, I'm going to quote one more person. <laughs> no, please keep on <laughs> it's quoting. It's going to be annoying. But um, to, uh, there's, a, there's a great uh, line from Longfellow in his Psalm of Life where he says, Art is long and time is fleeting, and our hearts, though stout and brave, still like muffled drums are beating. Funeral marches to the grave. Hmm. Life is so short, we do not have time to tear each other apart. Mm. We, we just we just we just don't so that would be the vision of america of a, an american and of a future america um that i would project to the american people what what are some of the snags that 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 you that you find in pursuing that either personally yeah. or, or like with, your, that. with your yeah. with your cultural uh what, what uh, i guess largely construed what's some some of the pushback that you get that you find oh. interesting um in in your in your pursuit okay. of this the pushback that I find interesting, that's a good question. Because um, you have a social media presence, so I, I assume that some sure. people uh, kind of... Oh, I don't, I don't... There's no pushback so far on my social media that I find interesting. There's pushback oh, interesting, that I, okay. That, there's pushback that I've heard from, like, interesting commentators, not, like, not directly pushing back toward me, but, like, there are other intellectuals and commentators whose whose work I've listened to, whose, you know, podcasts and interviews I've listened to that bring up really, really challenging problems that I'm forced to grapple with, you know, even in my optimism. But there's no, there's nothing really on social media writ large that I've seen that hmm. makes me less optimistic. <laughs> huh. You're in, in, indefatigable. There's a couple too many. Oh, ho- hopefully, you know, let's, <laughs> let's hope so. <laughs> What do we? I like what where you were going with the uh, with the canon and and uh, I remember when I was at Evergreen, uh, we we were doing a lot in my last class. We were reading these documents from a slave ship uh, that that a poet had uh, done a lot of redaction from to make a poem poem out of this uh, oh, this interaction this this captain talking about his cargo and completely in. in inhuman or dehumanizing terms. And I, I had this question because it seemed like that in grappling with that horror, it, it seemed that the people were summoning that horror in a, in a way that wasn't healthy. And I, and I proposed to the class, at what point do we see ourselves both in the captain and the slave? At what point do we actually see that Listen, I am, but, I am both of those a- things? That's such a difficult thing for people to grapple with. I don't want to underestimate the extent to which it is emotionally easy to just become a vapid nihilist. If Mm. one is not not capable of grappling with the fact that 
yes, they are that we as human beings are each of us, regardless of skin color, regardless of socioeconomic class, regardless of our station in life, are each of us capable of becoming both the captain and the slave, right? And so it is it requires an emotionally again, an emotionally mature, educated citizenry and wise citizenry mm-hmm. to be able to grapple with that. Mm-hmm. You know? And and I, uh, I, I guess I'm betting on the fact that we are. <laughs> that we'll a, learn from our mistakes. That we okay. that we'll learn and yeah. we have already proven that to a certain extent we are capable yeah. of that wisdom. I think it's really easy right now for people to be disheartened um, due to the amount of energy that's being released right now and and to kind of lose sight that this will kind of peter out in in certain respects. A lot of the mass protests that keeps on happening day after day, which is pretty amazing, like how long it just keeps on going, um, will eventually peter out. But it's still it's showing um, it's putting us all in a pressure cooker and it's kind of testing a lot of ideas with regards sure. to uh, conservative ideas, progressive ideas, a lot of different anti-racist ideas and stuff. And what what, what mm-hmm. do you think are, are some of the things that you've been pointing out about this? I, I really like what you said earlier today on Twitter. I think it was today about wh- where's the music, you know, and, yeah. and another thing yeah, like yeah. where's the food. And 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 I was thinking when you were talking about the a dearth of spirituality, if if you don't have like that that religious uh, kind of framework, then you don't have all the cultural parts of that, the, the music and the food and yeah. all of the things that, that fill out the life. And so, so I'm sorry, what was your question? I, it, it wasn't a question. It was more like, oh. uh, just some of the observations about oh, what's well, like missing what or, or oh. what you're I mean, saying. yeah, music is, uh, you know, I, in my non-existent spare time DJ, uh, <laughs> and so I, you know, and I live in Brooklyn you know, pre-COVID, I made it a point to follow certain DJs and go very frequently to, you know, clubs and stuff that had really excellent DJs because I understand the power, especially from a spiritual perspective, of of amazing DJs um, to to really call people call people to their higher selves, but also give people a sense of interconnectedness with one another. And it's important that we don't. First of all, it's important that we deeply understand and, and that we don't lose sight of the fact that we are incredibly interconnected as human beings and as a nation. So, yeah, I mean, again, mm. to reiterate my, my thoughts on Twitter yesterday, um, we need music. And I actually have, you know, my roommate went to a bunch of protests, uh, a protest yesterday in Brooklyn that was organized by the churches. And lo and behold, mm. there was music. And I'm like, of course, of course, when the church is organized, there will be music. I mean, we're talking about a rich black spiritual tradition that has that has created and cultivated so much um, that is a gift in and for and to this country. Right. And so why wouldn't we and why shouldn't we call call upon that tradition? Um, cause that's, that's the tradition I think that's going to move us forward, even as it moved us forward in the sixties. Mm-hmm. It feels like there's a tension, there's a tension for me between group think and community spirit. And I know, and, and, and <laughs> it, it, it seems like music is one of the safe ways to experience like, a, a collective okay. trans- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like but like okay. certain, no, I... certain chants and stuff, like really kind of like, yes. make me yes, a little yes, worry. Yes. One has to be discerning (laughs) 
um, and, and, and with it, I'm going to try to find this quote actually that someone, I saw someone uh, tweet out yesterday that really spoke to me that, hmm. um, that uh, really speaks to the issue that you're describing right now in terms of making sure everything is, you know, on point um, and consistent. Okay. So give me a, give me a minute. Oh, okay. So this is a, a quote by Dr. King. He said, when the idea is a sound one, the cause a just one and the demonstration a righteous one, change will be forthcoming. Hmm. But if any one of these conditions are not present, the power for change is missing also. What are the three? What What are those three aspects? The idea, the cause, and the 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 idea, the cause, and the demonstration, and and, and the, the action or the demonstration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the nature of the demonstration. Yeah, in in covering what's going on right now from again from from my perspective of studying what happened at Evergreen and then watching similar things, I'm trying to carve out a place where I'm respecting the core and preserving the core. Yes. While still critiquing that and, and breaking it down into is the idea sound, is the cause just, and is the, uh, is the action, uh, I guess, noble or of a, of a certain level of maturity. Um, those, those are the three things yeah. that you can, you can navigate through because people, one of the things that I'm wary of is that I saw at Evergreen, a lot of people forcing other people to think in the same way and, and sure. enforcing a, a proper way of thinking. And, and people will get really defensive um, if you start to critique. So I want to give them, uh, I want to give the people I disagree with the, the room to, to, to change their ideas instead of, uh, instead of assaulting everything that they believe. But teasing sure. it out into those different aspects is very well helpful. to do that you would would require that you believe in human beings potential to change right and this goes to my critique to many on the right um mm. who are just who are just totally who totally don't believe in that <laughs> um that and people I, can change right and i consider uh those people also to be people who ironically shout you know, God bless America, but who actually on a philosophical level don't believe in America because they don't, be they don't believe in America's potential for all Americans. Um, and so, yes, I, I also agree that, look, there's, there's thesis, there's antithesis and there's sense and there's synthesis. Right. And so it's very possible that what, what we're seeing now early on, and it is very early, you know, people forget that these things really just started. These protests really just started. Um, but it is possible that like, yes, while we're seeing really weird performative examples of people genuflecting before you simply because of the color of their skin coming from a good place, thinking that that's a good way to, to uh, demonstrate empathy and compassion. It could be that over time, this moves, this becomes something else, right? It could be that, you know, with the right, with the right leaders, with the right with the right idea, with the right cause, with the, with people fomenting the right kind of demonstrations, that people, that prote other protesters, in particular white protesters who are kneeling um, in this very weirdly sycophantic way, um, will change and will be mm -hmm. influenced and inspired um, to embody their principles according to what justice actually means and what equality actually means. So. 
nothing is inevitable, right? The fact that these people are doing this doesn't mean that they're always going to be doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what what are some of the examples, if you can summon off the top of your head, of of the right being rigid or, or being resistant in a non helpful manner to to the ideals that they're performing? Is there like um, Candace Owens, Charlie Kirk? Um, I would say Donald Trump, but I don't really think he cares either either way. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, those are two prominent folks, especially Candace Owens with the Trump brand, with the MAGA brand, whose Twitter feeds and whose, uh, you know, uh, videos demonstrate a lack of a lack of care and concern for their fellow American. If that fellow American is, you know, identifies as on the left, or identifies as liberal, or identifies okay. as really having a difference of opinion on certain issues. Um, so those, those two individuals fit the bill for that. Kind and of in, a, in a kind of Jonathan Haidt uh, moral psychology uh, framework, yeah. a lot of the, uh, the overreach of the left comes from their you know, care-harm value, and, and they sure. stress too much the care and the harm um, at the – you know, the lack of other kinds of values, um, let's sure. say like the, the values of a sound idea because your cause is so just. Um, so one of the things is how do you, how do you inspire care from, from the conservative who, who could probably uh, overemphasize, you know, hardlineness or, or like confrontation or something like that. Uh, how do you, how do you relax that? Say, listen, you're not going to lose too much by actually understanding empathy, you know, but like, yeah. but at the same time, understanding that, that empathy can come in the form of criticism, that, that, yeah. that allyship can come in the form of opposition of, of really, sure. you know, uh, being against an idea just, just to test the idea, not assaulting the, the entire framework. So I think one of the things that Haidt uh, said, if I remember that book correctly, is that uh, security, right, protection is one of the moral foundations of conservatives. And so the argument can be made that if you are, if you are essentially, over, and this is actually related to the conversation about police brutality, if yeah. you are overly tyrannical, essentially, in your response, you actually undermine your own security, right? If you are too harsh in your words, if you don't have the wisdom and discernment to understand the difference between um, discipline of a brutal nature, right, which is reprehensible, and the responsibility that you have to give, to try to both cultivate and give to your fellow American wise counsel, then you undermine your own security. Mm-hmm. So I think that I would make the argument, you know, trying to, I would make the argument in such a way that speaks to what conservatives claim to want or a moral foundation of conservatives, which is security. And that's, that's the argument that I would make. Do you, do you, and pardon me if this is, I, I don't like this question, but I want to ask it. Anyways. Do, you, do you consider yourself like a centrist then? Do you, do you, do you consider yourself? No, that's a yourself? horrible term. Okay, I mean, no, yeah, it's okay. not a horrible term. It's not a horrible term. I take that back. It comes with some baggage. It's a meaningless term. <laughs> okay. It's a meaningless. You're definitely not mean. a fence sitter, but uh, do, do you, do you try to uh, see both sides? Like, do do you, are you, I am, do you feel I am, like you don't have a camp or do you have like a, some sort of camp that ties you into other people or do you resist that? I am an artist. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the only way I know how to answer that question. And I've yeah. been, I've received that question before and that's exactly how I've answered it. That's, that's uh, basically um, what I say too. Yeah. Yeah. So like, 
I think that the purpose of art. First of all, I was uh, for for your listeners who may be interested. Uh, I was m- very much moved by uh, a book by Ralph Ellison on this called Shadow and Act. So most people know Invisible Man by Ralph uh, Ralph Ellison. The funny thing about Ralph Ellison is like he was one of the few black authors whose whose seminal work was considered by both black and white American critics at the time that it came out to to be not a not an African American book, but an American book. Even though it, its its subject was race and its subject was um, sort of inner tensions within the black community and tensions between the black and white community, so the subject was race. But this book, Invisible Man, was actually considered to be like the perfect American novel, which I think is fascinating. But anyway, his book Shadow and Act, um, which is a series of interviews with him, talks about the importance of art. Obviously, he saw himself as an artist fundamentally, um, and he argues that the the purpose of art is to create order and meaning out of chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I think in a, in a very simple way, that's what mm-hmm. I'm trying to do. Yeah. There's a, there's a certain amount of uh, escape velocity one needs to achieve to uh, overcome or es- escape the, the designation of an identity. Um, I, I can see, and, and, I don't mean this offensively at all, sure. but it might be, but I can see that there might be some sort of frustration if, if you are a black artist to escape that, that, that black designation in a way. Do you, do you feel that at all? Is that a reality at all to, to try to, to no, transcend no, because, that? No, because I think that where I'm coming from is still very much rooted in the black tradition. Hmm. I'm saying that the black tradition is rooted in the American tradition and the American tradition is yeah. rooted in the black tradition. It's inseparable. Yeah. Right. What, what, so, what is that? What is that black tradition according to you? I mean, is I guess is it a pedigree of, of like just a, a series of, of leaders in your past? Is that how you conceive of it? I think so. Yeah. People yeah. people should understand that. Like the first elementary school I attended was called Langston Hughes Elementary School. You know, uh, right right since the time I was six years old, I the first poem I was ever forced to memorize was a poem about Harriet Tubman. The second poem I was forced to memorize was a, was a poem by Maya Angelou called Fill I Rise. Right. But it, so 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 black leadership and black flourishing within an American context mm-hmm. was at the very foundation of my educational experience. And quite frankly, it is it. And this is where, you know, folks like Hannah Jones have a point when she talks about this specifically. It is a tragedy if white Americans aren't receiving this kind of education because there's so, so much richness to this education educational experience that I received, this educational gift that I received. There's so much richness that helps perpetuate American democracy um, Mm. that comes from the black tradition. So, so no, I don't really, I don't really see my, like I'm not in the camp of, although I appreciate him as an author. um, I'm not in the camp of Thomas Chatterton Williams, right? I'm not someone who believes that we no longer should use the terms black and white to describe you know, skin color, for example, I'm not, that's just not my, I don't, I don't feel that it's necessary for me in order to achieve ultimately the goal that I want to achieve. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 from watching your work and, and listening to you now, it seems that, that you 
put a stress on a certain aspect of, I guess, black culture. And, and I can see that from a low resolution white person trying to conceive of what it means to be black in America, I could potentially put too much stress on the suffering and the fear when we were talking about that, that, uh, that thought experiment, like I'm, I'm sure. supposed to project this constant struggle. Right. Um, but but at the same time, if I'm not recognizing that that there's so much flourishing that came about because of that struggle, it actually makes the struggle more human. It, it turns it into a actual net positive. Yeah. So if you're if you're yes, if you are um, learning coats in the classroom and you're not also learning Maya Angelou in the classroom, then something is wrong with the classroom. Like if you mm. are if you are only learning. Uh, you know, Ibram Kendi, but you're not also learning James Weldon Johnson, who wrote Let Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is considered to be the Black National Anthem, which I think should be the American Anthem, because it's so arguably much more powerful than the American Anthem. Um, you're you're just missing out on your own history, <laughs> mm. right? You're, it's like telling half the story, and there is an incredible story of resilience and triumph and overcoming, which can inspire any American. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um so is yeah. there, there's a process almost of universalization that uh, I could see people not wanting to occur because it would it might strip the the black the flavor out of that black experience. But if you superimpose that overcoming narrative and universalize it so that I can internalize that, uh, yeah. I, I can see some sort of uh, resistance to me co-opting or appropriating that story for my sure. own ends. But at the same time. That, that just seems like one way of keeping us separate in a way um, of me what not being like, able to. Oh, uh, you not being able to draw from the legacy. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Or, or, or like yeah. erecting some sort of sacred barrier between me and the black experience in America, which. Well, it's just, like, it's, it, it makes these, it, it, um, what it, what that does is achieve the thing that folks like Hannah Jones claim to be fighting Right. If you are a white American and you don't know about the tradition of overcoming of black America, you know, as manifested in especially uh, obviously the civil rights movement, but also the, the, po the poems and the artistic literary work of, you know, the Harlem Renaissance writers. And like if you are just totally unaware of that, then you are fundamentally unaware of the fullness of American history. And Hannah Jones's line is what? No one's fully telling the full story of American history, right? But this is the, this is the other side of that, right? No, one's, no one, to my knowledge, is telling white Americans this story. Hmm. So I, I agree with her point that the full story hasn't been told. But my point, my retort to her would be that she is not telling the full story either. I, I think that we do a disservice to our culture by stressing so much in in the theory camp and, and a certain strain of activism that's that's academic minded and sociological and, and has all these ideas like critical race theory and, and white sure. fragility and all, all that going about it that way through your brain. It, 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 sorry for this, but it, it's like <laughs> having a relationship with somebody just through just through a mental way. There's no sensuality. There's no embodiment. Yes. And, and going so through you should use that word. Crazy. You should use that word. OK, <laughs> I'm going to read from you. I'm going to read for you and your audience. James uh, passage from James Baldwin's essay, The Fire Next Time, which was written in 1968. Uh, 
and you know, I know this essay very well because I teach it in the theory of enchantment um, course. Okay, so he was talking about the power of jazz and blues and other uh, uh, genres of music that have come directly from the black experience in America. Okay, so he says, white Americans do not understand the depths out of which such an ironic tenacity comes, but they suspect that the force is sensual and they are terrified of sensuality and do not any longer understand it. The word sensual is not intended to bring to mind quivering dusky maidens or preapic black studs. I am referring to something much simpler and much less fanciful. To be sensual, I think, is to respect and rejoice in the force of life, of life itself, and to be present in all that one does, from the effort of loving to the breaking of bread. It will be a great day for America, incidentally, when we begin to eat bread again, instead of the blasphemous and tasteless foam rubber that we have substituted for it. And I am not being frivolous now either. Something very sinister happens to the people of a country when they begin to distrust their own reactions as deeply as they do here and become as joyless as they have become. It is this individual uncertainty on the part of white American men and women, and I think of, of Robin DiAngelo when I read this. This, <laughs> seriously, this, oh, I lost my, I lost my, this inability to renew themselves at the fountain of their own lives that makes the discussion, let alone elucidation of any conundrum, that is, any reality, right, so supremely difficult. The person who distrusts himself has no touchstone for reality, for this touchstone can be only oneself. And this goes to your point about you're not having a real relationship with another person, right? You're just, such a person interposes between himself and reality, nothing less than a labyrinth of attitudes. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. And these attitudes, furthermore, though the person is usually unaware of it, is unaware of so much, are historical and public attitudes. They do not relate to the present any more than they relate to the person. Therefore, and this is the this is the line that some people like to quote without quoting the rest and like applying it. Therefore, whatever white people do not know about Negroes reveals precisely and inexorably what they do not know about themselves. Which is rooted in a sensual understanding or essential communal vibration of some sort. And in order to in order to allow yourself to do that, you actually have to see the other person next to you, regardless of his or her skin color as a human being, not as, not as a political category, not as a, not as a, you know, a a prop for your performative, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, politicking as an actual human being and and yourself as a human being. (laughs) Well, I mean, and we can abstract that to a certain degree from his critique of, of, what he calls white men, white women, but our society itself is is feasting on the foam rubber of of Twitter, and and uh, sure. uh, our dialogue is reduced to this disembodiedness, and a lot of our beliefs, especially in the younger generation, are coming by way of this very disembodied, literally disembodied voices are, are yeah. creating their reality now, and so the uh, 
the, the question of overcoming difference with, with regards to identities um, is almost made impossible by the medium of social media because it denies so much of our experience and, and it reduces yeah. us in such a way. I don't know if it's impossible. I, I think we can choose to hmm. curate our social media platforms in such a way that re actually reflects our values. I don't think, I think social media is just a platform and a, and a mm -hmm. stage and we choose what play we will, you know, present. Um, but it's an active choice. I don't want to, I don't want it to seem like, you know, we're sort of like not auton autonomous to some degree in this. Like my Twitter is actually very, for the most part, quite lovely. Mm -hmm. Like my Twitter feed. I mean, obviously, I sometimes I often respond to things that I find um, unthoughtful or unwise. But my my Twitter feed is mostly nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What What's next for you then? What What What, what project are you working on? You, you have your course set up. Are you working on a book or a video series or like a dance uh. class or something <laughs> like that? <laughs> You're like, or is it a dance class? It's a, it's a dance class. <laughs> um, uh, no, I would be horrible at choreography. I don't have the patience to actually stop and teach people how to dance. But anyway, um, I am going really all in with Theory of Enchantment. So, so I'm trying to, um, you know, just build that up and set that up and get that course out to as many people as possible because I think it's it's really good for character development and and trying to promote the principles that we've been talking about um, in this conversation. So I'm really Would trying you to be able to plug that now. What is the theory of yeah, enchantment? Yeah, definitely. So happy you asked. So theory of enchantment <laughs> is my startup that I started about a year and a half ago, and it's a it's a it's a course that teaches character development and social emotional learning. Um, it's based upon three principles that I developed, three principles for the betterment of human society and, and this idea that you can't be in a healthy relationship with others unless you're in a healthy relationship with yourself. Right. So the three principles are treat people like they're human beings, not political abstractions, criticize to uplift and empower, never to tear down, never to destroy, um, root everything you do in love and compassion. And so the course is based upon those three principles. So in the first half, in the first third of the course, you do a lot of self-work. You And the beauty of this course is that it uses pop culture and developmental psychology to teach it. So we study empathy, but we also study, for example, we use Kendrick Lamar and John Mayer and various artists. Notice it's the artists. Again, yeah. that's why I identify yeah. so heavily with the artists. Um, the work of, of a lot of artists um, um, that that really grapple with this issue of the human condition. So in the first uh, third, uh, individuals do the work of learning what it means to be a human being, what it means to be imperfect, what it means to be capable of doing good and doing evil, what it means to have parental baggage, what it means to have intergenerational baggage, how to carry that in such mm. a way that you don't overcompensate for it, and how you can, in learning about the self, begin to learn about the other. Um, and then sort of the, the last two uh, parts of the course ex expand upon that. But it's cool because... We study, there's so much in there that we study. We study, um, like I said, Kendrick Lamar. We study the songs of John Mayer. We study James Baldwin. This essay that I mentioned earlier is in that uh, course. Another essay, um, The Problem with Protest Novels, which is just a perfect essay hmm. by James Baldwin that was written in 1948 that, that perfectly really uh, uh, addresses some of the issues in our nation right now. 
Um, we study cults as well, but we study cults in conversation with James Baldwin, which is which is a fascinating uh, exploration. Um, but we also study Disney, right? We study The Lion King to to explore um, the principle of stoicism because there's actually a lot of stoic teachings in The Lion King, um, and we also study stoicism as it was practiced in the civil rights movement. We, we, there's a lot more Disney that we study. We study the writings of Jay Z. We study certain ads from Nike that are super dope and. Michael Jordan talking about the human condition. So there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. Um, and, and yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about getting as many people to enroll in it and to go on the journey of taking the course. And how, um, how is it laid out then? Uh, like it goes every six weeks or something? Like is it a cohort that no. you usher through? No, no, no. So it's an online course. So individuals can enroll in it. So it's on Teachable. If you're familiar with that platform for online courses, if you're an individual and you want to take the course, it's, it's online. Um, and if you are a teacher, there's another, there's like a, if you, if you are a teacher wanting to teach your students, there's a separate subscription based, uh, tier for that because the way I advise teachers to teach it is to go through the course with their students, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, which is a slightly different framework from the online course, but it's the same the same content. So if individuals want to take it, they can they can enroll in the course in Teachable. And if teachers want to take it and or teach it, they can do the subscription. And it's all on theoryofenchantment.com, which is my company's which will website. Which appear on the screen right now. <laughs> so in in sum. Right now, what do you think people should be paying attention to? Like, like in all the sea of footage and the sea of opinions going on, what, what, what's the, what, where should our eyes be? What, what should we be attending to? Um, they should be attending to a lot of the folks leading efforts to clean up some of these cities that have been broken. They should be attending to, you know, if they can, donating to organizations that are handing out food and water bottles and, and just aiding people and trying to work together to build, to, to build and in some cases rebuild these cities. Um, they should be trying to support uh, business owners as well, small business owners especially. If, if, you, if, you believe in, in the, if you believe in the ideal of Black Lives Matter, you should be supporting uh, you know, black -owned, small black-owned businesses that are, that are in some cases under threat of being destroyed and in some cases have been destroyed. Um, so, you know, support those GoFund accounts that have been set up for folks whose businesses have been destroyed. Um, you should also be looking towards individuals, influencers that are, that are posting real concrete legislative action that can be taken to bring about police reform. Um, and I can actually, I don't have a list off the top of my head, but I can give you a list of, Twitter accounts that I think are pretty, pretty awesome and pretty decent. Um, so those are the two things I would focus on. And, you know, if, if, if you ever run into a protest with, with, you know, deeply, uh, resilient spiritual music <laughs> being sung, you should join that protest. Join in. <laughs> there's something there. There, there may be a philosophically consistent moral being upheld in that protest. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, by your, by their tunes, you shall know them in a way. Yes, very well said. Yes, <laughs> oh, I I a hundred percent believe in that as a DJ. Yes, a hundred percent. Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A Boyce. Have a good night. <laughs>